0: to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. First John chapter 4. Before, before we do that, before we get into four, I was reminded this week of that verse in chapter three that we looked at in verse two, it says, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And, and the, you know, that verse kept rolling around in my head. And you know, we talked about last week that we don't know what Jesus looks like, but one day we will see what he looks like. We'll be in his presence and we will be like him. But I think that God was, was telling me there's, there's more, there's application to this right now for us as well. this idea of that we're in the process of becoming more and more like him, becoming more and more like him as he is who is perfect. And not that I'm saying we'll be perfect, but when we see him in the end, we will be. But in the process, we're becoming him. There's change that's going on. And I was reminded of something that maybe will help you. So go ahead and put those pictures up, if you would. All right. You see these statues? These are Michelangelo's slave statues, emerging slave and sleeping slave, um, that's, uh, that's the images that you're looking at. And so this is how Michelangelo as a sculptor worked, and it blows my mind that he's able to do this. He was able to take a block of marble and see it for what it would be, not what it was. It was simply a rock, of a weird rock shape that he was able to look at and say, within that is something amazing all i need to do is chip away what isn't needed what isn't necessary what's unwanted in order to free the statue from within the rock now i've done a little bit of sculpting myself and i could tell you i could never do that i could never i have to add on in fact as i was thinking about this and i was having this conversation with god god was saying your sculpting is heretical compared to this. And, and you know, not that I think that it's evil, but the, the image is this. He removes what's unwanted to reveal what's inside. I added to what was already there to create something. Right? My, my type of sculpting is uh, heretical compared to that. It means that I added to, he took away the unwanted. Now, what's really neat about this is you can see, like, he's, you can kind of see as you look at these pictures that he had an image in mind that he was freeing from the rock, right? You see that? Now, I don't know if you know anything about sculpting marble, but do you know what? It's not, it's not like you brush off the unwanted marble with a feather. You take a hammer and a chisel, and you bang away at what you don't want anymore, freeing the statue. You see what he's, there's still a lot of rock there, right? You see, but he he never finished these. You can actually go to the museum in Florence called the Academia Gallery. Uh, We've been there, we saw this many years ago. Um, we, you could actually go and see these up close with your own eyes. It's the same. It's the same museum where the Statue of David is. Did you ever ever see a picture? Has anyone seen the Statue of David in person? No. Just us. Cool. <laughs> that's the that's the only time where just us is the is a cool answer. Right? It, you know what? It's like eight feet tall. It's huge. When you're standing next to it, you're like, holy cow. In this other smaller gallery next to it are these statues. And if you look at them up really close compared to the Statue of David, you know the Statue of David is, is completed. It's finished, right? And it's all smooth. And you wonder, like, how do you, how do you chisel something out of stone and make it all smooth? How do you do that? Because if you look at these statues up close, there's chisel marks all over these statues. You can see all these chisel marks where he was like you know, very carefully going in and knocking up. Well, it's a process to get from that to the statue of David. It's a process. Now, imagine you're the statue, and the, the, the creator of you is sitting there with a, with a mallet and a chisel, chiseling away what's unwanted. If a statue could talk, number one, he might be grateful for the fact that you're being created into something, but in the process, you're just like, ah, 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 chisel, chisel, chisel. You know? Um, they're unfinished, right? They're in the process of being completed, but they're unfinished. Now, why is that important for us to realize? Well, the obvious uh, parallels, you know, we're in process. We're in the process of being created into something by a master sculptor, right? Y'all get that, right? You saw where I was going right away because you're all really smart, right? But here's the thing, right? Right? These sculptures, although unfinished, are on display in this museum in an unfinished state, still bringing glory to their creator. People look at those statues, even though they're not finished, in an unfinished state, still full of chisel marks, still lots of unwanted stone in the process of being created, kind of frozen in time. And people look at those statues, and they're not looking at those things. man, that's a magnificent statue. Maybe they are. But mostly what they're looking at is saying, man, that Michelangelo was incredible. So even in their unfinished state, they're bringing glory to their creator. That's us. We are in the process of being completed. And we're not there yet. We will be, but we're not there yet. But in the process, we are still able to bring glory to our creator. That's, we're in that process. (laughs) I just just want you to think about that as you go day to day, day to day. We're in that process of being created, uh, sanctification, that process. But it doesn't mean that you cannot be used by God in the process. It doesn't mean that you can't bring glory to God in the process. In fact, you absolutely can and should, as they do to Michelangelo. All right. Chapter four. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. So you know John is writing to them, continually. To continue. He keeps on giving them. <laughs> you have to know your limitations sometimes. Just. <laughs> warning them, advising them, helping them. It's very important to remember the context in which he's writing this letter. Remember, he's writing it to them because there are those who are coming in and saying things that are not true, trying to steer them away from the Jesus that they know to a Jesus that is uh, different than what they've been shown or may had read about or even, in John's case, knew personally. And so remember, he's telling them that there are, Um, false teachers coming in. So when he says you need to test spirits, whether they are of God, that word spirits, literally it means breath or wind. In In this context, breath or wind. And so what he is saying right here is you need to test everything that you hear To make sure that it is of God or out from out of. That's the of when, when you see in this passage of God, it means from out of God, or that it comes from God. So he's saying, don't believe everything everyone tells you, just because they seem sincere or even spiritual, don't believe it. You have to test it to make sure that it is coming from God. Remember, you've got guys coming in that are trying to say, well, Jesus wasn't flesh he was spirit and then because of that you know you could do whatever you want in your flesh it doesn't matter as long as your spirit is uh, is godly and John's saying that's ridiculous you have to test all of it um because many false prophets have gone out in the world you see he he qualifies the statement himself he says because many false prophets have gone out so you have to test what it is that they say to make sure it's of God well how do we like how do we do that how do we test everything all the spirits how do we test that everything that we hear is from God well we can get a pretty good idea if we look at acts chapter 17 verse 11 when it talks about the Bereans everyone knows about the Bereans right Paul was teaching them, and it says that they readily received the word, but then they went home every single day and searched the scriptures to make sure what was said was so. So they heard Paul readily. It's like they were happy to hear what he had to say. It, I, in my, the way I read it is like they weren't sitting there with a skeptical ear. They were receiving it. But then they were checking it against the word of God to say, is what he said lining up with what's here in the word of God? And that is what we must do also. If someone comes to you and says to you something that you sounds good, it's important for you to look at your own word of God and say, does it, but does it line up with what God has already said? Well, there are some who will say, I like the Bible, but it's not complete. See, you need to add this book or you need to add this thing to help you understand more fully what it is. And if someone comes to you and says, yes, open up your Bible, but also turn to page so-and-so in this pearl of great price. Run away from that person because they're going to try and tell you something that is not um, of God. You know, in, in John's day we talked about this, there were those who said that, yes, Jesus was God. We get that. We believe that Jesus was God, but he wasn't of man. He wasn't flesh, right? He was God. He was spirit, but he was flesh. In fact, there are many stories uh, in, in uh, history that say that, that, uh, that, that Jesus would walk along the beach with you, but only your footprints would be seen, not his, because He wasn't flesh. He didn't leave footprints. It appear as though he had a body, but he didn't really have a body. He was God, but not man. Ironically, somehow that flip-flopped. Now we have people saying that he was a man, even a good man, but he was not God. You see what happened there? See, before it was like, yes, he's God, but he wasn't man. Now they're saying, yes, he's a man, but he's not God. This is how the devil works. Do you understand? The devil will say, "All right, this, this might work if I can convince everybody that he wasn't a man, but he was, you know, he was God. You know, that'd be great." And he got a bunch of people. Somewhere along the line, they were convinced that that wasn't true. And so he was like, "All right, all right, all right, I'm going to change it up. And now I'm going to say, okay, he was a man, but he wasn't God." And you know what? The devil will do whatever he needs to do to try and deceive. That is his one goal. It's just destroy, destroy. He's not your friend. He doesn't have anything good for you in mind. His goal is to destroy and kill, and that is it. And he'll do it however he needs to do. And maybe you've had this conversation in your head or with the devil uh, before where you'll say, oh, man, uh, I'm such a wretch. I keep, you know, I I sin all the time. It's the same sin all the time. And, And the devil comes up, and maybe he comes up to you and he says, nah, you're not that bad. You're good, actually. Look at all the good work that you do. Look at all the people that you help. And you start thinking, yeah, I am a pretty good person. I do do a lot of things. I do a lot of good things. And the devil comes in and he says, look at you thinking so high of yourself. Who do you think you are? You think you're so great. You're a wretch. And then you think, I am a wretch. Look what I just did. I just elevated myself up. Oh, man, how could God ever forgive me? And the devil comes in like you're not that bad. You're pretty good. And you say, it's back and forth. And whatever he can do to tear you down and destroy you, get into your head and mess you up, he will do it. Look, like he completely reversed the, the God, you know, God is spirit. He's not flesh. Now it's God, you know, Jesus was flesh. He's not spirit. Don't buy it. What does the word say? John's going to say right here, he was spirit and flesh. And it had to be both. The reality is that there are nowadays those who buy this and teach this idea that God, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus was a man but not God. I'm going to give you a couple examples. In fact, the the Jews now will admit that Jesus was a man, a good man, and even a good teacher who did some miracles, but they will not say that he was the Messiah or certainly not God. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being, um, not equal to Jehovah God, and was actually the archangel, Michael, until he became a human on earth. Mormons say that Jesus was a spiritual being, and he was the brother of the devil, that he was born of flesh and went on to marry Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. Well, that fits neatly into their understanding of polygamy, doesn't it? Like, well, if Jesus was married to several people, why shouldn't I be? And you could hear that and be like, yeah, I wonder. I mean, if Jesus was married to three women, why couldn't I? And, And the fact is, he didn't marry them. So stop. Muslims do not believe that Jesus was, they do believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, but that he was only a prophet. The fact is that you don't actually have to be a Jew or a Muslim or a Jehovah witness or a Mormon to believe some of what they believe. You can be a regular secular person going about your life and saying, "Oh yeah, Jesus, maybe he was a prophet. Oh yeah, Jesus, I don't know. Maybe he did something, I don't know." But what John's going to say is if you believe anything other than Jesus Christ came in the flesh from God, then you believe the spirit of antichrist. That's what he's going to say. We're going to talk about that. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> the reality is that if Jesus wasn't God, he wouldn't have been able to live a perfect life and be the final and complete sacrifice for sin. And if he hadn't been flesh and blood, then he couldn't have been physically slain, crucified and put in a tomb and resurrected and there would be no salvation. Had to be both. Amen? Every spirit, in verse 3, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. You see why that's important? He's very specific in those words. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus is what his name was. Christ isn't his last name. Maybe you've thought that. His name isn't Jesus Christ. It was Jesus, and Christ is his position. It means literally anointed one. In in Hebrew, it means Mashiach or Messiah, the one who was sent by God. Jesus, the anointed one who was sent by God. He's very specific in those words because that encompasses all of that, came in the flesh. That's the entire emphasis of that thing, that that sentence, that verse that he writes. And this is the spirit of... Of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world. Antichrist, so you know, doesn't mean opposite Christ. It actually means in place of Christ or instead of Christ. And so, what he's saying is anyone who comes with you with a philosophy or a theory or a belief that is in place of what we know to then read of Jesus Christ in the Bible is the spirit of antichrist in place of Christ. Maybe you've seen before, um, uh, like Time Magazine Occasion will do this, or you're watching the History Channel, and there's a special on, or something that'll be like, uncovering the true Jesus. Hmm. Ever see that? Uncovering the true Jesus. And you're like, oh yeah. Hold on. What they're not doing is saying, let's look in and see what the Bible teaches about. What they're saying is, let's go in and find the true Jesus, the true human Jesus that existed in history. They have no interest in what the Bible says about Jesus. They want to find the true Jesus, which is a Jesus in place of the biblical Jesus. So when you see that, that is the spirit of Antichrist. In place of, or instead of Christ. Verse 4, he says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in the world, uh, excuse me, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, Little children, you have overcome them. Who's them? Who's them? You got to look into the context. Them is those who are coming with an understanding or a teaching that says that this Jesus is not the Jesus you know. He's a different one. Anyone who comes to you with the spirit of Antichrist, anyone who comes to them or to you with an understanding that is other than what the Bible teaches of Jesus, you can overcome them. You have overcome them, is who he's talking about, because he who is in you, who's that? He who is in you. Yes, well, specifically the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has given us holy discernment to be able to hear what is being told to us and say, no, no, that's not right. I'll give you an example. (laughs) Deirdre's already laughing because she knows what I'm going to (laughs) say. When we were first saved, you know, we didn't have any kids, very few responsibilities, um, and distractions at that point. And we just were like, every time we went we, I mean, we were in a lot of different Bible studies, but we list, wherever we went in the car, we would listen to the radio, trying to find some sermon on the radio. You know, and, and that was this is a really, really long time ago. And there weren't like iPods and digital there wasn't digital anything. Oh digital watch. You could have a digital watch. Um, and so you had to find on the radio something to listen to. And you know, obviously it was a long time ago because I'm doing this to tune my radio. And we would, we would come upon someone who was teaching the Bible, and we'd be like, oh, good, listen, and we're driving along. And after a couple of minutes, it's not that they said anything blatantly wrong or heretical, but after a few minutes, you start going, mm. and we were new. But you started to think, there's, there's something not right here. I can't, can't put my finger on it. And we used to call it our spiritual radar. Like our spiritual radar would go up and we'd be like, there's something not, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something not right. And then inevitably there'd be some heresy that would come over the airways and be like, oh, there it is. There it is. And you know, when, then we'd turn it over to something else uh, or nothing. Um, and, and that's it. Like we've been given that through the Holy spirit, the power of this discernment to be able to hear and discern like there's something, there's something not right. But then we're not just to trust it to our own understanding. We're supposed to go and look in the word and say, what does the word say about that? What does the word say? You're telling me that Jesus was the half brother of Satan. Eh, That doesn't sound right. Exactly. Let me go and see. That's what we're supposed to do, but we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those who will come to us and say, here are, you know, this, this, and this, and we say, mm, no, I don't, I don't think so. They, they, same as them, them as they, they is them, okay? They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them, here, the, the word hears them, it, it's more than just like when the sound comes in and moves the eardrum. And th- this is listens to. Okay? So this is saying that they are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world listens to them. Do you know why? It's like they speak the same language. Right? They it's not just that though. They speak the same language and Those that they're talking to want what they're saying to be true. Listen, if if I'm coming to you, let's pretend I'm one of these, I'm they, okay? I'm they, and I come to someone who is a non-believer, and I say, did you know that it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh? As long as you love God with your heart, you can do whatever you want in the flesh, And if I'm a a worldly, unbelieving person, I'm like, that sounds pretty good, actually. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I want. I want no accountability for what I do in my flesh. That's what I want. I want to be able to live however I want. I want to be able to talk however I want to talk. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. And, you know, I kind of want to go to heaven, too. You know, and so it's saying that they speak the same language, and so they understand each other. Um, but, uh, but this says here, we are of God. We speak a different language. You know, sometimes, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you, um, when you talk to somebody who is one of your um, unbelieving friends and they don't quite get what it is that you're saying. They don't really understand what it is you're saying. You're talking about, you know what, you're a sinner. And they're like, mm, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. You're like you're a sinner, you, you need a savior to come and save you. I'm like, I don't really understand what you're saying because they don't speak the same language that we speak. I don't speak Spanish, so when I hear Jeanette and Cesar talking away, I don't understand what they're saying. We don't we don't speak the same language. In that moment, we don't speak the same language. But the more I listen to them speak, I start to learn a little bit. I'll start to recognize, yeah. I can hear my own name, yeah. but see, the more I listen, the more I start to learn what it is they're saying. And so this is my encouragement to you, that you have unbelieving friends that don't seem to get or understand what you're saying because they don't speak your language, just keep speaking it. The more they hear it, the more it starts to, they start to recognize things, they start to see things. There's more to it than that, but that's a good start. Just keep speaking to them in that language. If Cesar only spoke to me in Spanish after many, many years, I would probably be able to say good morning. (laughs) Just keep speaking it. It says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. Right? That's what I'm talking about. We are, he who knows God, by the way, the word knows, it's a a very important um, word. Um, It isn't just like, um, I heard of him or I've read about him, or I know about him, um, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's gnosko in, in Greek, gnosko, which means that you've had a personal experience on which to base your understanding and knowledge of that person, to know through personal experience, or to recognize because of personal experience, right? So it's, it's, like, it's like this, um, if I was to say to you, do you know Justin Bieber? He would say, maybe, he would say, I do. And not because you know him, but because you know of him. You've heard of him. You've seen pictures of him. You've done your hair like him, Mike, at one point probably. But you don't know him. You've never had an experience with him so that you know him. You know of, okay? This word here, we are are of God. He who knows God. Hears, knows isn't I know of him, I've read about him, someone told me about him, it's I've had a personal experience with, or I've experienced him, and therefore, I know him. I recognize him based on that experience. He who knows God hears us, we speak the same language. He who is not of God does not hear us, we don't speak the same language. And by this, we know that the spirit of truth, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do you see that? It's a very important verse right there. You know what he's saying? There's only two. Spirit of truth, spirit of error. Spirit of truth, spirit of error. There's, there's no spirit of kind of truth or kind of error. It's one or the other. He doesn't leave any room for middle ground. We've talked about this. There's no fence to be sitting on. Now, this is great, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. So that's a very, uh, and I looked at almost every version of the Bible, and it all says, let us love. Um, maybe you have a version that says, um, beloved, we should love one another. Um, but mostly what I saw is, beloved, let us love one another. And I want to point out a couple of things. We talked about this two weeks ago. The word beloved is a derivative or derived from agape, meaning God's unselfish unconditional un- uh, love. Beloved, it means one who has experienced the love of God. Beloved, one who has experienced the love of God. But let us love, in Greek it says, take pleasure in love, loving. So it's, he's saying, those who have been loved by God's selfless love, take pleasure in loving with God's selfless love. That that is what that verse is that was how he wrote it. It was saying like those of us who have been loved by God's unselfish love, let us take pleasure in loving with God's unselfish love. For the love of God for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He who does not know, who does not love, does not know God. If, if you are not able to love the way God loves, you are not of God. Well, you know, You're know, like, well, wait a minute, but God's love is perfect and holy and unselfish and unconditional, and we can't do that. But remember, we talked about God said, you can't without the Holy Spirit, who you already have. In Romans five five, it says that he's already poured in his love through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So, we have within us the power of the Holy Spirit to love the way God loves. So, what he's saying is, since you have the ability through the Holy Spirit, if you're not doing it, then that may be an indication that you don't have the Holy Spirit, and therefore, you are not of God. Now, Remember, he's not saying this so that we all can look at each other and be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, let, me just, let, me, let me judge everyone else. Let me just measure everyone else. He's saying this is so you can look into your own heart. You are not to use this and say, you're supposed to say, am I loving God? Am I loving everyone the way I am called to by God? Am I agape loving one another, my neighbor, my brother? Then it says, God is Love. Now, if you were, you know, born in the 70, or a child in the 70s, you probably had a bumper sticker on your car. God is love. Or like a, a you know, like a t-shirt with big bubble letters and maybe a rainbow outline. It was different then. <laughs> God is love, man. <laughs> I mean, it is true. God is love. But the thing is, like people sometimes get it mixed up and they think, well, love is God. Because the thing is, like, love doesn't define God. God defines love. You understand? This word agape, this is, it's, it, I, I don't understand why people get confused, because in English we just say love, 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 love. Every form of love is love. Like, lust, uh, friendship, it's all love. But in Greek, this is agape. This is godly love, unselfish, unconditional love. God is love. As I was reading, I was like, okay, yeah, but, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean? And, and, and I was reminded of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you heard it. But listen to this. I'm going to read part of it. 13 verse 4 says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own Is not provoked, thinks no evil, nor uh, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if God is love, couldn't we replace love with God in this section and say, God suffers long and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade itself. God is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked, thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. It's important to remember, though, that God is also just. God is righteous, God is holy, God is pure. I mean, John isn't saying that you only need to say that Jesus came in the flesh. He's saying if you're not at least doing that, you're wrong. But you have to remember God is love, God is holy, God is just. But because he's love, he is just. Do you understand? Because he is love, he cannot allow for sin in his presence. So he's righteous, he's pure, he's holy. He is all of these things, but God is love. in this, the love of God was manifest toward us. So he's going he's to explain. He's going to say, um, because I am love, I am unselfish, I am unconditional. He says, he, I manifest. The, the word manifest means made apparent, made it clear, it was shown. Toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Only begotten sometimes trips people up because they're like, oh, 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 look. Begotten means that he was born. (laughs) Wrong. That's not what it means. It means one and only. One and only. Now, you could try and extrapolate that out to say, well, one and only means that, you know, God created one and only son. But really what he's saying is there was only one Jesus. Only one. Into the world that we might live through him means because of him. We might live because of Jesus. In this this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Remember, the Bible says that God loved us before we loved him. God loved us while we were sinners. God loved us while we didn't even believe in him or want anything to do with him. God loved us. He didn't love us because of who you are. He loved us because of who he is. He loved you and sent Jesus to be the propitiation. Remember what that word means? They would know this. It was a sin offering offered up so that Fellowship with God could be restored. That is what they understood the word propitiation to mean. And so he's saying that God sent Jesus to be the sin offering for the world so that the world could be reconciled back into fellowship with God. Phew, thank you. That's love. God could have easily been like, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done. I'm going to Mars I'm start over. Maybe he did, I don't know why. Just <laughs> but he said, No, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna send Jesus down. He's gonna live a perfect life. He's gonna die on the cross, and there's gonna be I'm gonna pour out all of my wrath on him because he's gonna take all the sin of his world onto him and pour out my wrath, and then and then he's gonna die but then I'm going to raise him up from the grave and he's going to defeat death and sin and that's going to be for the forgiveness of sin for the whole world and everyone then just has to say, I, man, I wrote this great note and I wish I could remember where I put it. (laughs) I think it said this. We're not saved because we love Jesus. We're saved because we believe on Jesus. Right? We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead. We're saved because we believe that he did that for us. It says uh, in verse 12, I think, oh, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God demonstrated this level of love for us and has given his Holy Spirit to us so that we also can love, we ought to love one another this way. We ought to be able to lay down our life. We ought to be able to lay down our plans for the sake of someone else. Ought we not? Ought we not? Yes, we ought to. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. This is a verse... <laughs> that people will come to me and say, well, what about right here? This says that no one has ever seen God, but didn't Moses when he was up on the mountain and said, God, I want to see you. And God said, all right, I'm going to hide you over here and I'm going to walk by and you're going to see my, the back of my, and, and you know, there's a contradiction. And you know, maybe in English, that's a contradiction, but here's what this is saying is, this isn't saying that no one ever glimpsed God okay? This is saying that no one has ever looked upon God so fully that they could interpret something. That's a lot of words to, say, to use right there, but that's essentially what it's saying is no one has ever looked at God in a way that they could gaze upon him to interpret or understand him in a way that is different than what we're seeing here. Yes, Moses got to see um, the back of, of God pass by while he was in the cleft of the rock, but God said, look, if you were to look upon me, you'd be like vaporized. You can't do it. But you know what? I'm going to hide you. This is not a contradiction in the word. This is John saying that people can't see God, but they can see you. They can't see God to know what he's like, but they can see you. So how are you being an ambassador for God? If we love one another. There's a verse that says, they will know we are Christians by our (laughs) t-shirts. It doesn't say that. It says, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Or maybe it's just a folk song. But that's the truth, isn't it? God's saying, if I love you, you should love one another with the same kind of love. And then other people who can't see me will see you and understand the love of God or begin to or want it at least. To say whatever it is that you have, I want that. What is it? What will it cost me? And you could say everything and nothing. And then they'll be like, I don't understand, and because you don't speak God, like I don't. But stick around. (laughs) Come to church and take language lessons. Let's see. You know what it says? If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. The word perfected there actually means accomplished. It says love has been accomplished in us. It's, it's not like we have to have perfect love for one another, but we're working on it. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his holy, he has given of given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. You see, now it's, it's not just came, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but he's also saying, is also the Son of God, God abides in him as he in God. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because, he, because as he is, so are we in this world." You know, he's saying that you have the love of God in you, you have the Holy Spirit, which comes from accepting Jesus Christ, so that you have no fear when it comes to the day of judgment. You could say, when when Jesus calls me home or comes to get me, in either one of those situations, I don't have to be afraid because I'm going to stand before God knowing that he is looking at me through Jesus Christ. Because I have him, I have the Holy Spirit. There is no fear in judgment. If you don't have that, you ought to be afraid. Because if you're sitting here and you're thinking, but I'm a good person, and my good works are going to outweigh my bad works, how do you know how much good you had to do while you were here? How do you know if what you did was enough? And I'm going to give you the answer. It won't be. There is no good that you could do here that God's going to hear and say, oh, you know what, you're right. You know, you don't need Jesus. You come on in because your good works were enough. Anybody who does not have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living with inside of them ought to be afraid on judgment day. But you who believe ought not be afraid. That's the hope of heaven that we talked about, right? That's not, I hope I go to heaven. It's the hope, it's, it's, it's an ex- expectation that when I leave this Earth, I will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Ho ho. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. I know <clears throat> There is no fear in love, but perfect, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's exactly what I just said. Because we have that perfect love and we, the, the Holy Spirit living within us, there is no fear of torment. But without fear, or without that love, you ought to be afraid. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? If you, if you can't love the brother or sister sitting next to you, <laughs> no one looked? Okay. <laughs> Look around, yes. If you can't love the brother or sister sitting next to you, how is it that you can love God? That you can't even see? That you can't reach out? That you can't hug? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother Also, I want to end with this little story. There was a Salvation Army worker who found a derelict woman alone on the street and invited her to come into the chapel for help. But the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, We love you and want to help you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. As if on divine impulse, The young lady leaned over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms. The woman began to sob, and like a child, was led into the chapel where she ultimately trusted Christ. You told me that God loved me, she said later, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word today. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's never heard or received the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that their hearts were stirred. Lord, I pray that they are sitting here saying that they don't want to be afraid on Judgment Day, but that they would have the peace, the assurance, the hope that I'm talking about this morning through Jesus Christ. I pray that if there is anyone here that's feeling that tug on their heart, that uh, as we sing this last song, they would come over to me uh, that we might pray that they would accept Jesus today as the Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for the rest of us here who do have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Lord, that we would, we would let that Spirit guide us to discernment, to know when we're being told something that's not true, to love those around us as you've loved us, Lord. That, that we might be the God that people can see. Well, that sounds bad. I don't mean it in 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 a weird way, Lord. You know what I you know what I mean, Lord. Lord, that we might demonstrate and show the love of Christ that we have in us, Lord. Lord, let us go out of here today, changed, different than when we came in. Lord, ready to love on our brothers and sisters as you have loved on us, Lord. Help us to embrace your truth, embrace your word. Lord, help us to deflect the lies that the world are trying For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.